In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father Chris, campers, everybody, good evening. Last night, uh, we began our discussion of prayer, and what it is, how to pursue it, or at least how to begin pursuing it. Uh, We talked about the necessity of first actually calling out to God with all of our heart, with all of our might, as if it were the most important thing in the entire world, because truly it is. Perhaps some of you immediately actually took this message to heart, uh, or perhaps some of you stored up this message to sort of ponder over later. Either of those were fine responses. Uh, We all have to do this in our own time, just don't delay for no reason. However, if you did, in fact, attempt this spiritual feat, you may have noticed that there is an immediate hurdle to overcome. When we at least begin to pray, we oftentimes feel within ourselves this uh, insurmountable obstacle which separates us from God. I am, when I pray, uh, immediately cognizant of the fact that, well, I am flesh. I'm fleshly. I'm a carnal man, and I have many sins. And he is spirit. He is pure. And he's also just so very high up there. And I am so very low down here. Confronted with the the, the transcendence of God, and with even just the idea of his holiness and brightness, I immediately feel my own weakness. My heart becomes weighed down by its uh, sinful heaviness. I feel like I can't quite look up toward heaven. I can't quite get myself to do it. I can do nothing. And I am at the beginning of what seems like a dreadful struggle. This is, in fact, true. Uh, In the Old Testament, way back in the book of Genesis, we see a really awesome portrayal of this struggle that we ourselves go through when we see Jacob wrestling with God. Now, I need to say something before I can really go any further, which I hope will help you to understand uh, the rest of my message for you today. When we speak of prayer, when even the saints speak of prayer, there is a particular language that we have to use, a poetic language. What I mean is this, uh, that if you, even if you look through the Psalms, okay, so David's own prayers of his heart that he recorded and that he wrote down for us, uh, oftentimes he will use language which is reflective of his own personal experience and not really necessarily meant to be taken super theologically literally. So David can say words like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some snarky, know-it-all, eighth grader, might raise his hand and say something like this. Actually, uh, God is omnipresent, which means that he is everywhere at all times. So it's not literally possible to be completely forsaken by God, which is just not particularly helpful. Uh, So to be clear, I'm not trying to give you some sort of textbook definition of prayer. Uh, Today, what I'll be speaking of is prayer as we experience it, the struggle within our own souls, specifically not what prayer is objectively, but how we live prayer subjectively. 
how one feels at prayer, what, what, what prayer feels like to us. So we return to that struggle, what we may call our wrestling match with God, just like Jacob had. Or perhaps it's the siege that we're laying against the gates of heaven, the volley after volley of arrows that we are shooting skyward. Uh, the Desert Fathers actually literally refer to a certain collection of prayers as arrow prayers. Now, I've already told you that the first thing which true prayer requires is for you to cry out to God. But to win this battle, there are a few more weapons with which you must come equipped. And those are persistence, genuineness, and silence. So first we have persistence. We spoke yesterday about the fact that you calling out to God must be done with all of the spiritual strength that you can possibly muster. Today, I am telling you that you will have to do that again and again and again. God isn't some servant that we can summon simply by ringing a cute little bell so that he rushes in just to find out what we desire. Well, we mentioned Jacob before. Now, it wasn't just some five-minute throwdown that he had with God. The Bible says that he wrestled with him nonstop all night long. Uh, it's actually kind of funny. Uh, it says that God was really on his way somewhere else, uh, that he was already trying to leave Jacob, that he was he's moving on, and Jacob just won't let him go. At one point, uh, it seems like what it's saying is that God even uses some sort of a pressure point to, to uh, debilitate Jacob, um, but Jacob just will not release his grasp on him. At one point, uh, or at finally, God takes a step back and he looks at Jacob and, okay, maybe to, to paraphrase a little bit, he says, look, man, the sun is already coming up. Can we just be done with this? And Jacob says, not without a blessing. And it's at that point that God finally gives in and he says, all right, all right. Now, many of the saints look at this and they warn us that Jacob himself was a saint. He was strong. It will take us many more than just one night to secure that blessing from God. Why is this? Why doesn't God just immediately answer us? Why does it seem that he holds back for so long? It is entirely for our sake. At first, he does this so that we'll actually learn to express our own longing for him. And that that longing will be uniquely ours. So that our relationship with him from the very outset will be unique. It'll have its own particular color or flavor or atmosphere. But he also does this because if he were to surrender to us immediately before we've done any of the things that we've talked about, and before we've had these experiences, we would cast him aside as easily as when we had won him. If your parents just randomly one day decide to give you $1,000, you're kind of likely to just go out and spend it in that same day. But if instead you have to work countless long hours for the same amount, well, you're going to naturally treasure what you've earned. You'll already have a sense of its value. So, God requires persistence out of us. Next, and this is uh, part of the reason that your future selves wanted me to talk to you now and, and to not wait any longer. 
God requires genuineness. Now, what do I mean by that? Do you all know what a facade is? Maybe, okay, a lot of you have heard that word before. Um, I'm guessing that at least some of you may not actually know where it comes from, though. Uh, it's actually an architectural term. If you go to many cities uh, throughout Europe, like the, the older cities, the almost ancient cities of Europe, um, they had the custom of building their homes very close together. All right. These big cities with thousands of people living in them, their houses were just like right next to each other. They, all, they, they were touching. Um, and they did this in order to keep their cities actually as, as small as they could so that it didn't take absolutely forever to walk to your friend's house. And often this left only the front of the house visible to the street. So what they would do is they would build their homes or their businesses or whatever building they were working on with relatively simple construction methods. They'd use you know, normal wood and brick and clay uh, for the vast majority of the house. But the front of the house, they would adorn with beautiful marble columns, majestically carved arches, grandiose double doors with big brass handles, and cute little fountains. This was the face, or the facade, of the house. When people would walk by, though, they would sort of be uh, psychologically tricked into thinking that that's what the whole house was like. And of course you know that we do the same thing with our personalities. We put up facades toward other people in order that they not at least immediately know the brokenness which is underneath the surface. We usually start this young. As we get older, uh, we may even go so far as to build multiple facades so that different people from different groups will look at us in, in whatever way we want them to. Over time, uh, we ourselves can forget what's hiding under those facades as we have facade upon facade. God wants to come and to be with us. Not the us that we present to everybody else. Not even the person that I've convinced myself that I am. But as we get older, dismantling those facades gets harder and harder. Sometimes trying to find ourselves is like trying to find a scared child hidden amongst an enormous mansion. Sometimes, if we are practiced enough, we pray or, or we say something to God, and we literally don't even know if that's us being genuinely ourselves or not. This is actually one of the greatest struggles in prayer, and all that I can say is that it helps to talk through all of this with God, try as, as well as we can to lay all of it bare, even when we're being fake with him. Sometimes my own prayers can sound like the rambling of a madman as I try to discover what I really feel or think about anything specifically. Uh, it's much better if you can learn to do this when you're younger, to cut through all of your uh, bologna sandwich before it's grown too large. I mean, God sees through it anyway. This is for us. So we've got perseverance, genuineness, and finally, silence. I mean a couple of things by this idea of silence, and I'll begin with the easiest to understand. It is hard to truly pray in a loud and distracting environment. 
uh, perhaps you're tempted to think like, well, I'm, I'm different. I can pray, you know, even if there's people talking around me or if there's, you know, the voice of the birds outside or, or, anything, th- or anything like that. I'll, I'll just tough through it. I can deal with the noise. You cannot. You cannot. The best, uh, most practiced world champion prayer warriors throughout the entire ages have known this to be true. They were constantly seeking to get away from all the noise, from the people, from the cities, so that they could actually be with God. You do have to find your own quiet place. Uh, This is part of the reason that monks value nighttime so highly for being able to pray. Uh, My own personal patron saint, uh, Saint Isaac, uh, he was ordained as a bishop of the very, very large city of Nineveh. This is a very prestigious thing for him to be awarded. Um, but after very, a very small amount of time, just a, just a little while, he just took off his mitre, his crown, and he just walked out of the gates of Nineveh and never came back. He totally shirked his duty. He abandoned his position. Um, and everybody was actually pretty upset about it. When they asked him why he did this, all that he responded was, I, I just couldn't really pray there. But we also have to seek out inner silence. There's a faculty, an organ of the soul with which we pray. And we Orthodox have a a fancy little term for it. Uh, We call it the noose. But you can think of it as the the heart or the eye of the soul. Uh, We use our noose to focus ourselves, all of ourselves, on something, whether good, bad, or indifferent. And unfortunately, in this world in which we now live, we're constantly barraged with the many things which seek our attention. I mean, when was the last time that you just sat still without doing anything? Without at least looking at your phone? We've gotten to the point where we immediately feel uncomfortable, awkward, tense, like there's something deeply wrong with that situation. It used to be that people could just sit still for a little while. But for us to pray, we have to be able to focus on God, to turn that eye of the soul and to rest our heart on him. And that's not easy for us whose hearts are full of so much pointless distraction. Calling out with persistence, genuineness, and silence, this is how we begin to pray. It is not an easy path, but it is the only journey through which you will find wholeness, purpose, the one for whom your heart yearns. You know it. You know that your heart needs something, something more. A presence that will fill you with that sweet relief from the disappointment which lies at the bottom of every single other pursuit. Now, I don't have delusions of grandeur about my preaching, about my homilies, or anything like that. I know that, you know, just statistically speaking, for the vast majority of all of you, uh, this will go in one ear and, and right out the other. But I'm also pretty sure that maybe one of you, maybe just a a few of you, are actually listening. This is your moment. This is the message that you have been waiting for. This is your calling. Even if right now all that you feel like you can muster is that you kind of wish that you wished you could pray, that's enough if you will join it with action. It's not every day that you get a message from the future. Don't waste the time that you've been given. Your future selves will thank me. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.